The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Coming up on the Money Beat Podcast, yes, the stock market has rallied in the week since the election. One sector in particular has rallied the most, though, and that is the bank's. What has changed for the banks? What hasn't changed for the banks? And what might change for the banks after Donald J. Trump takes the oath of office? This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody out there in podcast land. Paul and Stephen coming to you on a Wednesday afternoon in New York City. We are in the studio and we are joined today by two of our our good friends here at the Journal, Rachel Louise Ensign, no stranger to the podcast. Thanks for having me. And Aaron Back, Heard on the Street columnist, uh, doing a little moonlighting from the Heard on the Street podcast, coming over to us today. Aaron, how are you? Very good. Happy to come over the divide. Come over the, yes, yes. You're, you're not afraid to go across the aisle for a good cause. That's right. Right, as many should not be. Uh, interesting things going on in the market, as always. And the reason we wanted to have Rachel and Aaron here today is because you look at the market, you look at the rally since the election, and it's interesting. I have a stat that kind of puts it into perspective. And you think, wow, the whole market is like it's on fire. It's going crazy. Yeah. Uh, you look at the gains for the S&P 500, and I got this from uh, Howard Silverblatt, who works over S&P Dow Jones Indices. The the overall gain, I think this was, this was going into today's trading. It's up, I think it's like about 8% or something. Take away the banking sector, the, not, in the S&P 500 banking sector, not the KBW index, but the S&P 500 banking sector up 9.3% since November 8th. Take that away, and the overall S&P is up 0.6%. The banks have been the big, big, you know, they have been bearing this rally. It's really a banking rally. Yes. So, Rachel, Aaron, you've both been writing about this, and this is no, I'm not surprising you with these numbers. Uh, let's, let's talk about it. Like, what is going on with the banks? What we're seeing, I think, is a big shift in sentiment among bank investors. So, for a long time, these stocks were seen, you know, say for the last five years, as kind of a rate play. Oh, we think rates will go up. Mm-hmm. Maybe the Fed might hike. Let's invest in these stocks. So they would rise and fall based on expectations of the Fed. But now the whole world has changed, as we all saw after the election, and a euphoria has set in among bank investors. And they're thinking, wow, everything I could have possibly dreamed of that could help banks and help bank stocks is is possibly going to happen. Like and including it, what? In- including interest rates. By yeah, the way. In- including rates. Rates are going to go up. So they started to rise. The yield curve started to steepen. The Fed is still expected to hike in December. So it seems like that might finally be here. But then on top of that, there's the prospect of regulatory relief, which could lead to expense cuts. And there's also the prospect of a lower tax rate, too. Um, so all those things taken together are really leading investors into a euphoric state. And I would add that all the trading activity that is taking place since the Mm -hmm. election is going to be a major positive for the big Wall Street banks, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, and those type of guys, because, you know, uh, trading volumes are actually back in a big way. Similar to Brexit. Exactly. After Brexit, trading volumes surged, and that was actually very good for all the banks. Yeah, but but after Brexit, uh, bank stocks actually plunged because it was seen as taking a Fed hike off the table. At that time, you know, if you look at the yield curve, interest rates plummeted after Brexit. So that was bad for banks. But uh, this time, you know, the 10-year Treasury has gone from like 1.84% to 2.3%. 
That's a big move in one week. So that that's part of also why the banks are rallying. And part of this also isn't just the Trump victory. It's also the Republicans mm-hmm. taking the House because they've been focused on trying to dismantle. Or solidifying the House. So, yeah, yeah solidifying right. the yeah. House. Yeah, and, take, taking, and keeping the Senate. Keeping, keeping the Senate. Right, right, Exactly. Right. Sorry. But uh, that was not expected. I think, like, the Trump winning right. and yeah. was the least expected outcome. And that has opened up um, Dodd-Frank. Um, you've had a lot of Republicans talking about dismantling that. How much... What's the feeling among analysts and, you know, people within the industry of how much Dodd-Frank will be dismantled? Because that seems to be one of the big unknown questions at this moment. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it is really unknown. And I mean, certain parts of it, there seem to be a little bit more certainty on, for instance, the limit at which a bank becomes a systemically important institution has to do the stress tests and bear all the pretty high costs of that there's a consensus that that is pretty likely to be raised. So a lot of these mid-sized banks are probably going to get relief. But I think, you know, some analysts were really just surprised by the rally because a lot of what's actually going to happen, a lot of what the actual relief is going to be is still pretty uncertain. So, I mean, aside from this one line in their transition statement that they want to dismantle Dodd-Frank quotes, the Trump administration has not really elaborated on, on what they want to do with respect to banking regulation. And I think that you know, I mean, look, it depends how Donald Trump governs. If Donald Trump governs as a plain vanilla Republican, then we're likely to see, you know, broad-based deregulation. But Donald Trump didn't run as an ordinary Republican. He ran as a populist. He was attacking these, you know, shadowy, this cabal of international bankers and all this. So, uh, you know, it's, it, I think it's far from certain that the biggest, you know, Wall Street banks will see that much deregulation. I mean, these are some of the most unpopular companies in America, Mm -hmm. companies that Donald Trump campaigned against. So while, as Rachel says, you know, there is definitely a consensus to give regulatory relief to small and mid-sized banks, I'm not at all certain that the Trump administration wants to do a bunch of favors for the Wall Street banks. But Goldman's, I mean, the best performing stock in the Dow or was at one point over the first week. Yeah. So, I mean, look, that may have to do also with trading volumes. Mm -hmm. So Goldman was among the banks that benefited the most from post-Brexit volatility, for example. But, uh, you know, I, I just I, I think investors might be a little too positive on the big banks. And I would add one thing. Let's say that a bill starts in the House uh, that has banking deregulation in it. And, you know, the How- Jeb Henserling in the House Financial Services Committee has a number of proposals already out there for all kinds of deregulation. When that goes to the Senate, it will face a Senate filibuster from the Democrats if it is too, you know, goes too far in terms of deregulation. And people like Elizabeth Warren in the Senate are not going to take it lying down if to just repeal Dodd-Frank and undo all the financial regulation, you know, implemented since the financial crisis. It's just not going to happen. And, uh, you know, in fact, there are a lot of people, you know, in the Democratic side on the Senate who would like to see Glass-Steagall brought back, who would like to see you know, the separation of commercial and investment banking as existed, you know, in the United States after think, the and, Great Depression. And, and, and Am I Trump crazy? Or, I was going to yeah. say, didn't Donald Trump say so that So it too? was in the official Republican platform this year yeah. to bring mm-hmm. back Glass-Steagall. in the Democratic and Republican platforms. So what does Donald Trump really think? Who knows? You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to know what he thinks about anything. I mean, but, you're, you're, you're right about all that, Aaron, but 
you look at the market, and it's clear the market thinks they know how Donald Trump's going to govern. Well, if I, you I, ask me, I, think, I mean, I if I had to draw, I think, I think it's a foolish for anyone to think they know how Donald Trump is going to govern. Well, well you, you, also, know, you also have to that's think that's about a good point as well. how much has actually fundamentally changed with regards to these banks in the mm-hmm. last, you know, since the morning of November 8th when right. we didn't know where our next president would be. I mean, I, I reported on some Fed data earlier this this week that showed that loan growth and deposit growth actually seemed like it was slowing a little bit. So there's the prospect that this could potentially be great, but all the analysts are really warning that it could it's going to take a long time and how it actually turns out isn't certain, even though there seems to be this extremely high level of certainty yeah. in the market. Let, and, let's let's take a break. I don't mean to cut you off, Grocer. Oh, that's fine. Uh, I'm used to it. You're used to it. Oh, my God. I get so much grief. Uh, all right. No, no. But it's time, it's time for a break. You folks need a break. They need to stretch out their legs. And, but don't go away. Uh, we'll be back right after this. Love tech? Dig gadgets? Then make tech news briefing from the Wall Street Journal a part of your day. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast. We are here in the studio today with Rachel Louise Ensign and Aaron Back talking about the banks. And, you know, look, folks, if you want more great Wall Street Journal podcasts, and we do have a lot of them, uh, check us out. We are at WSJ.com slash podcasts. We have, of course, Heard on the Street podcast. Yes, I uh, We've it. got Speakeasy, What's News, Tech News Briefing, Your Money Matters, Money Beat. You can subscribe. Go to any of myriad podcasting places, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, your Google Play Music app, Amazon Echo, and you can subscribe. And, and all of this, it'll come automatically. You don't even have to think about, hey, is there a new Money Beat podcast? No, it'll come to you automatically. And also, you know, I, I don't ever do this, but I was thinking about this grossly the other day. I should do this. If you are interested in the things that Rachel and Aaron write about and you want to find out more about them, go to WSJ.com, find their byline, and if you click on their byline, you can get their bio with links to all their stories. You can find their Twitter handles. You can find some more information about and, them so you can follow them. And the cute them. little picture yeah. of our faces as and, well. Right, right. The dot picture. A thousand yes. little yeah. dots. Yeah. A thousand yeah. little dots, which is you know an iconic Wall Street Journal feature is the dot picture. So – that is a lot of information, a lot of ways for you to follow us and keep up with us because we like presenting this information and we want to make it, you know, we're trying to make it uh, enjoyable for you and want to make it easy for you. We we left on what I thought was a, a pretty interesting point, Rachel, about how much has actually changed for the banks. And then, in the you know, in the last week, I know a lot has, has changed in terms of price levels, but how much has changed fundamentally. And then, and then I cut off Grocer. And I apologize for that, Stephen Grosser. Well, I, I, was, I was just going to say, like, it, and this gets to Rachel's point about how much has changed. I mean, the banks were rallying a bit before this election because, and, and just expectation, as you talked about earlier, rate expectations that the Fed was going to rise. Now you've seen this yield, sort of, you know, the yield on the ten-year go up a lot in the past week, and. Because of the market's reaction, it looks like the Fed, and especially Yellen's testimony today, will be moving in December. So, I mean, this is, uh, at least in the short run, there is, you know, uh, you know, good news for bank stocks. Yeah, I mean, rates were on their way up before the election, and everyone was expecting the Fed to hike in December anyway, I think. And, you know, I actually wrote a column a few weeks before the election saying buy the bank stocks because rates are going up. This has just accelerated that, right? So the the, 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 the 10-year is now... You know, it really puts some juice into into the yield curve, and and rates are definitely rising. But let's just remember: so the ten year now 
at about 2.3% is only at the level where it was at the end of last year. So we're still talking, you know, historically low levels. So the, the, the stock market, by bidding up these bank shares, is expressing a view that these rates are going to keep rising. If rates only, only go up as much as they have and then stay there, then the move we've seen in bank stocks doesn't make sense. The, the, the equity market is saying, we think rates are going to keep going up. And that has a lot to do, I mean, that one of the other reasons it wasn't just rising, you know, sort of interest rates or expectation of the Fed. It was also the expectation that inflation was starting to gain a yeah, little bit of traction. Growth and inflation, yeah. you know, b- both seen picking up now more so under a Trump administration, potentially, that may put in a big infrastructure stimulus. Um, but that's – and that gets, I think, to another point, the infrastructure uh, stimulus package that Trump is talking about. I mean, I think the markets have really gotten ahead of themselves here because he's not talking about necessarily using government money. He is talking about using private money and getting you know private equity firms, other investors. Basically giving them, from what I read, tax breaks to do things that they were maybe already going to do anyhow. I, I, so, like, I, I, it raises the question of how much we can actually count right. on that arriving. Well, also, you know, so, again, he has to work with Congress, you know. So if he goes to Congress and, say, and that's says, hey, guys, I want a big infrastructure stimulus bill, you know, isn't that what, like, Obama did in 2009 and Republicans yeah. did everything they could to defeat him on that? Right. So it's, you of know, course, it's, it's all different now when you're talking about no, infrastructure. But it, I mean, right? so that's why he has to say, oh, it's financed by, you know, tax cuts right. for well, private investors or whatever. But you even know. then, Mitch McConnell has, you know, come out and said last Friday, that's not a top priority for us. Right. So, precisely. Yeah. So it's, uh, I, I think there will be some kind of infrastructure stimulus bill. You know, one option is to fund it through this sort of tax amnesty where you allow uh, companies with money overseas to bring it home at a one-time special low tax rate. That'll generate, you know, a bump in revenue. That something can, we've done before. Something we've done before. And, and, and that could be – well, it, I mean, the results are questionable. A lot of yeah. people say that that money was mainly used for buybacks. But that's good for stock investors. <laughs> and uh, and But it, it will generate revenue for the Treasury, which could be used to uh, – to fund stimulus uh, yeah. and at the same time allowing Republicans to argue that they are not uh, raising taxes right. or increasing the you deficit. Know, circling back to the bank specific, because I want to ask you both about stories that, that, that you've written. You know, uh, Rachel, you had a story about treating banks like growth stocks almost. And it's really kind of crazy. You look at the last week. OK, we know the banks are up big. Uh, small caps are up big. Mm-hmm. The S&P 500, the S&P 600 which is a small cap index, is up, I think it's more than 10% as of this afternoon. The Russell. 2000 up, right. I think, around 10% uh, right. of yesterday's close. I mean, close. it's, wow, it's unusual. Big. It is unusual to see banks trading like growth stocks. Mm-hmm. But is that the world we're in right now? Well, I think what we're seeing is a lot of generalist portfolio managers, people who invest across a wide range of sectors, are saying, you know, I, I'm interested in banks again. Banks aren't just this... Uh, sector that's just going to trudge along and give me pretty low returns as interest rates stay low for seemingly forever, maybe I actually can finally make some money from them. And um, a lot of generalist portfolio managers are moving into the sector and selling off other other holdings in you know the tech sector and things like that. So I think there's a lot of hope that they could be growth stocks. And I mean, the potential numbers behind the growth and earnings, if all of these hopes and dreams of the Trump presidency happen, is really major. There was one projection that put it around 25 percent earnings boost from the various things that could happen. Another was at 40. In a 40. year or? 
Uh, well, what they did was they modeled it off of um, 2017 estimates, and they mm-hmm. said, you know, if X, Y, and Z that could happen from from Trump, you know, tax break, um, the steeper rate curve, and um, you know, the expense cut from less regulation, mm-hmm. if all that happens, how much will will um, bank earnings go up? And for instance, one one analysis that looked at a lot of the smaller banks, which account for a lot of small cap stocks, had it at forty percent. So wow. that's staggering. Right, but right. it's a question of is that possible? Right. If if everything everything yeah, how right. possible is that forty yes. percent? And I don't think anyone knows at this point. Wow. Do, does anyone remember the Bank of America talked about just how much they could get with a slight increase in rates? Right, just recently. It Do, wasn't a slight increase. Or I mean, a they, decent they, size they had number. Uh, it was like a hundred basis point parallel shift which is jargon for our listeners, but it means that all rates across, you know, three-month rates, 10-year rates, all go up by a full percentage point. And I forget the exact number, but it was in the, you know, several billion dollars that uh, that would add to Bank of America's earnings. Now, I mean, that's not going to happen. We're not going to get such a big shift, but um, it does but, let you know that, you know, a Bank of America is, is the most interest rate sensitive of the big yeah. banks. And it, you know, in this Trump rally, reached levels not seen since 2008. Yeah, you have to think kind of about the, yeah, exactly, for the first time since 2008. So I think you have to think a little bit about the psychology of banks and bank investors for the last few years. I mean, it's just been like a miserable state of deja vu where they constantly think, oh, the Fed's going to hike and then it'll hike four times next year. And then it doesn't happen and it doesn't happen and it doesn't happen. And they are cutting costs. They're adding fee revenue. They're basically doing ev- everything they can to not completely alienate investors. And then finally, this kind of black swan event happens, the Donald Trump election. And now it, it's like the most exciting thing in the whole world for them. <laughs> well, I mean, and also for banking reporters, because I mean, I feel like, you know, every yeah, earnings, right, yeah. we bring you guys on. And like the question is, how are they going to grow profits? How right. are they going to exactly. earn more money? Yeah. And everyone sits there and goes, I don't know. Well, that, I think they were, the bank executives were saying that, too. And I mean, the banks were making money, but right. it was just a tough environment. And you just got the sense even talking to bank executives that, their job was just way less fun than yeah. it used to be in the well, past. Well, I'm, I'm glad to see that the People's Revolt is going to help out the <laughs> banks. Uh, Aaron, you had written about some mid-sized banks that could do well in this environment, right? Yeah. So let's talk about that a little. You bit. Know, so we talked about how uh, you know mid-sized banks are likely to be the, you know the clearest beneficiaries of regulatory relief, and in particular, as Rachel said, there are a lot of proposals on the table to lift the threshold from 50 billion dollars of total assets. To two hundred fifty billion dollars of total assets for for you know having to submit to annual stress right. tests by the federal to be Reserve. a systemically well what's yeah, the phrasing you're considered systemically yeah. important right right but right. what that means in practice is that every year you have to go to the Fed and go through this you know crazy stress test where they come up with apocalyptic scenarios <laughs> you know worse than two thousand eight and you have to show that you could not only survive but continue returning capital to shareholders through dividends and buybacks through such a scenario. And uh, there's and, and, and if the Fed doesn't approve you, you can't do any buybacks or dividends at all. Uh, and so there's a growing consensus that's too onerous for this group of banks that are between 50 and $250 billion. So in my column this week, I identified four banks in particular, uh, Zions Bank, Regions Bank, CIT, and Citizens Financial Group, that I think could be big beneficiaries of this. They're all in that you know fifty to two fifty billion dollar asset size pool, and they all have what could be called you know a lot of excess capital. Um, 
And right now, they're not allowed to return that capital because of the Federal Reserve. Now, what does uh, that mean, excess capital? I mean, so they, you know, what's these guys have, uh, you know, uh, equity capital from, you know, 11 to 13 percent of their assets, which means that they're not very levered. Okay. And uh, those are those are above average levels for, for banks. And the reason they hold that much capital is basically because the Federal Reserve is forcing them to. Because the Federal Reserve has to approve their capital return plans through this stress test process. And if the Fed isn't satisfied, they won't let them, you know, do as much buybacks or pay out as much dividends as they'd otherwise like to please their shareholders. So my thesis is that, you know, Within this group of banks, there are a few that have noticeably high capital levels that could be returning more if they got a break from the Fed. So if we do see this regulatory reform, uh, in my column, I identify those four banks as the biggest potential winners. One of the questions, I want to go even further down the the sort of line, the small banks – um, you know, they are the ones that have really been sort of crushed in many ways by this, the regulatory um, regime that's been in place since the financial crisis, just because they don't have the profits, the sales, the, you know, the, you know, the yeah, revenue. They, they have to hire lawyers, hire exactly. consultants and everything to comply with all the regulations. I mean, are they going to be – Are they? is it too early to tell how much of a benefit they're going to get if – Dodd-Frank starts getting uh, dismantled, or are they still... Well, everyone loves small banks. I mean, every politician, whether in a presidential race, Senate race, they get up there and, you know, hate the big banks, but, oh, the community banks, they're they're so wonderful. It's such a shame what's been happening to them. And, um, I mean, I think there is some truth to what you're saying. Some of these uh, regulations are just so hard for even the big banks to comply with, not to mention the little banks. But at the same time, there actually has been some research that shows that the low rates have actually been just as bad. Um, and a lot of the damage and the pain for these littler banks I mean, these, is really coming small from banks, rates, what not do they from... Do? They, they take deposits, they make loans. Yeah. So the only way they make money is on interest rates. Exactly. It's, you know, the bigger banks have other things that they do. You know, they, you know, they trade stuff on Wall Street. They have right. you know, they asset manage management yeah. businesses. Yeah. They have all yeah. kinds yeah. of businesses right, 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 that, they, right. that they make money on. But these small banks... You know, they take deposits and make loans. So yeah, and, the, the interest rate environment hurts them more than anyone. And there's also, I mean, there are more than 6,000 banks in America. And it's kind of, it's really an anomaly that comes from old interstate banking laws, is my understanding. And so I think there is a thought that there will be continued consolidation just because people like to go to bigger banks. They like to have multiple branches. Um, but the, the rate rise will definitely help these little banks. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that was supposed to move that consolidation forward, though, was that these banks are suffering so much from yeah. regulatory burdens. So they need to get economies of scale to get bigger. And, and maybe they, don't, they won't need to as much now. Exactly. So hopefully they won't have to uh, come up with their Walking Dead scenario, Zion's <laughs> Bank. Tonight on The Walking Dead, Zion's <laughs> Bank. And uh, they can Always they got a little back to the Walking Dead. I know. I had to make a, a gratuitous Walking Dead reference. Yeah, I didn't. Get it? I'm not. I'm not into zombies. I don't know if I okay. got it either. Next podcast. None of us. Next None podcast. of us did. He just talks about it nonstop. Okay, that's the next podcast. We are out of time, uh, folks. As always, we appreciate your listening. We will catch up with you very soon, and talk to you then. News on the go, whenever you want it, wherever you want it. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.